Scripture reading today comes from Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. That's Joshua 3, verses 1 through 6. And the word reads, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from, Sh- from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may not know, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. This is the word of the Lord to us. Well, you know, recently um, our youngest daughter graduated from high school. And uh, some of you um, came over the following day and kind of celebrated with us as we had an open house. And if you are anything like we are, if your home is anything like my home is, and I'm sure it's safe bet to say that it is for the most part, um, when you are expecting visitors, things change. We were expecting visitors, not only from the church, but we were expecting visitors from out of town. So our family came in from out of town, especially when people come from out of town, like family members and things like that. Then things change. You begin to look around and see some things that probably need to be shored up a little bit. You begin to look around and see things that probably need to be rearranged and put in their proper places that hadn't been in their proper places for a long time. When you're expecting visitors, it causes you to look around and examine things and to see whether or not things are as clean as they should be. Even the children's rooms get cleaned up. And if you're at my place, you understand that's a, that's a, that's a tall task. When was the last time, I want you to think about that, when was the last time that you were expecting some significant company? I'm not talking about the people who come over all the time. You know, the Dunkersons come over our house. It's going to be what it is, you know. <laughs> but I'm talking about significant company of people who don't normally come. When was the last time you were expecting this kind of company? And then what was the attitude towards your home? What were your uh, expectations? What were your preparations? There's a question for us this morning. Do you ever have similar expectations of God? Do you ever expect or anticipate the visitation of God in your life? Israel did. Israel did. This morning. And that expectation of God, the anticipation of God coming 
require them to start looking around and making sure some things are in their proper place. As we begin Joshua 3, Joshua and the nation of Israel were poised. They were poised to enter fully into the land that God had promised to them. And for the first time, and for the first time in their history, you do understand, since Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, for the very first time in their history, they would have a permanent dwelling place all their own. All their own. No more wandering around like Abraham and Isaac. No more living in tents like Jacob and his sons. No more living in a foreign land like Joseph. No more wandering through the wilderness like Moses. For the first time, the nation of Israel would set feet on their own land and build homes meant to last. This is a big deal, beloved. And Joshua, as we saw last time, Joshua had sent the spies into the land, particularly the city of Jericho, and the spies had come back, and the spies had given their report, the spies had given their testimony to Joshua and the leaders and the nation, and now the excitement was high. All around the camp, the expectations and the anticipations were through the roof. They were expecting very soon that they would be led, that they would be on the march into the promised land. So they were expecting a word from God. They were expecting to hear from Joshua. They were expecting that soon and very soon, God would show up and God would move. They were expecting God to move. God had moved for Moses. They were expecting God now to move for Joshua. And these were legitimate expectations, beloved. They had these expectations, and these were legitimate expectations based upon the Word of God. You know, sometimes we expect God to do things that God had said He was going to do. And we put words in God's mouth that God didn't say. But these were legitimate expectations. God had promised as He was with Moses, so He would be with Joshua. And they were expecting God to move on behalf of Joshua and give them this promised land. But before they would see God move on their behalf, and here's our point this morning, before God would move, before God would come, before God would visit 
God required a few things. They were expecting God to move. But notice what God told them. Oh, this is so instructive for us today. They had to do a few things. And you see this in the fact that they had to prepare. There had to be a preparation. There had to be a preparation. Notice what it says in verse 1, right? And then Joshua rose early in the morning and led the people out of Shittim and down to the banks of the Jordan River. And there they made camp. Now, beloved, understand something. It's, it's hard to really get uh, the emotions of the text and, and get into the excitement of what is going on here. Okay? But Joshua rose early in the morning and led the people of God out of Shittim and down to the banks of the Jordan River. They had to make preparation. Okay? What Joshua's doing here. God is leading them and preparing them for the move of God. And part of the preparation is getting into position. Okay? They had to get into position. They had to position themselves for the move of God. In order to position themselves for the move of God, then they had to get into the position down by the banks of the Jordan and out of Shittim. Now, they had been in Shittim for quite some time. They had been there since the defeat of the kings, Sion and Og in Numbers chapter 21. And by doing so, by, by, by defeating Sion and Og, they had secured the land, that portion of the land that was just east of the Jordan. However, even though they had defeated the kings there and they had set up camp in Shittim, the stay in Shittim had not been a very good one. Notice what it says in Numbers chapter 25, right? beginning in verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. The stay in Shittim had turned foul. In other words, beloved, it became apparent that they had been in Shittim too long. It was time to move on. They had been in Shittim long enough. I'm saying to you, too long. And if God was going to move on their behalf, the first thing that was going to be necessary for them to do is to get out of Shittim and get down by the river Jordan. Get down by the banks of Jordan. Get down by the place 
where God was going to move. And so they moved. They moved down by the river. But notice, it does not say that they moved down by the river and then crossed over the river. Not yet. Not yet. God just moved them down by the river. Just get down by the river. By traveling, beloved, to the place and position themselves at the place of the crossing, they were preparing themselves and positioning themselves to cross when the time came. Now, it's important to understand this little, little caveat here in the text, okay? And that is that they didn't know when the order would come. They didn't know that. But whenever it did come, beloved, they needed to be ready. And sometimes preparing simply means positioning. Positioning. God was going to take them across the Jordan River into the promised land. But first, beloved, first they had to leave Shittim. First, they had to get down by the river. God was getting them to the place where God was going to move. Beloved, this is very, very instructive for us. It is important that as you and I anticipate and even pray and even seek the Lord to move in our lives, that we are positioning ourselves in the right place. God delights to move on behalf of his people, but oftentimes his people need to be cognizant of the realities of positioning themselves where God is moving, getting in tune with what God is doing. The woman in Luke chapter 8 with the issue, with the blood disorder, had to get to where Jesus was, had to push herself through the crowd to get to where Jesus was. Zacchaeus in, in Luke 19 had to get himself up a tree so that he could possibly get his eyes on Jesus and Jesus get his eyes on him. The paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 had to have his friends lower him down through the roof so they could get him to where Jesus was moving. Sometimes, beloved, it is just important to get to the place where Jesus is. Get to the place where he is being proclaimed faithfully. Get to the place where he is being exalted. And you get there. You get there, and when you get there, you don't know exactly when the Lord is going to move on your behalf, but you want to get there and prepare yourself for when he does. 
amazing to me. And it is wonderful. How often people neglect the fellowship of the saints and at the same time want God to do something in their lives. And I'm saying, excuse me, get to the place. Position yourself under the preaching of the word of God. And be prepared. I'm not saying that God's going to give you something today. But when he does, you need to be ready. And you're not prepared sleeping in your bed on Sunday morning. That's not the position. I talked to a brother this week. I hadn't seen him in a few weeks. Called him up. Hey, bro, I hadn't seen you, man. What's going on? He started relating to me. You know, he had some struggles and work and things, some distractions. I said to myself, you just stuck in shit him. <laughs> it's time to get out of shit him, brother, and get down by the banks of the Jordan. Position yourself where God has promised to move. Praise God, he's here this morning. <laughs> Decided to get up and get down by the banks of the Jordan. Positioning himself, preparing himself for what the Lord might do. They didn't have a time frame, beloved. Not immediately. There was no time frame. God just said, Joshua, get them down by the banks. Position them and prepare them so when the time comes, they're ready to move. So the first thing you see there is the preparation. You want God to move? You got to get prepared. You got to get in position. You got to get to the place where God is moving. The second thing you see is the anticipation. The anticipation. So notice what it says in verse 2. And after three days, right, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. When they got down by the riverbank, by the banks of the river, they waited. They set up camp. They waited. They waited, beloved. We know, we know, okay, and this is, the, this is a little nuance here. We know how long they waited because it tells us three days. But they were not told to wait three days. There was no timeline. They had just left their huge encampment at Shittim, and now they're down by the banks of the Jordan, and they're anticipating that any moment God is going to show up. There's no timeline. Could be one day. Could be two days. Could be three. Could be five. 
But they're in position. They're in position, and you can't imagine the anticipation. Or I hope you can't imagine the conversations and imagine the excitement of what was building around the camp. And they're asking one another, is it today? Is the Lord going to show up today? Are you ready? Are you ready? I couldn't sleep last night. How about you? Is it now? Is it today? Even though they didn't have a timeline, they understood something very important. Okay? And this is it, beloved. They didn't have a timeline, but they knew one thing, that the Lord had not brought them down to the banks of Jordan for nothing. God didn't move them down here just to set up another shittim. In fact, they were in position to see the promised land. God brought them down by the banks, and they could look over Jordan, and they could see it. They could see it. Unlike the previous generation, there was no murmuring. Unlike the previous generation under Moses, there was no complaining against Joshua. There was only the anticipation of what God was going to do. But they would have to wait. Wait. A day. Wait. Two days. Wait. Three days. God has moved them down by the Jordan and the question that I had as I am going over this is, well, if you're going to move down by the Jordan, why don't you just cross over? Why wait? Why wait three days? Well, I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly why God told them to wait and why God told them to wait three days. But I think and I, I believe it's always important to remember that God always has a purpose. Even in waiting, has a point and a purpose, even in the darkness. You know, sometimes the Lord is pleased. I want you to understand this, and I want you to hear me when I say this. Sometimes the Lord is pleased to leave his people in the dark concerning when he is going to move. He won't leave you, but he might leave you in the dark. And why would he do that? Why would the Lord choose to leave his people in the dark from time to time concerning when and where and how he's going to move? Well, he does it because he wants to prove to you and I that whatever happens, he alone can do it. If you get to moving real fast and you get to thinking you're comfortable going at these speeds, you get the idea that you're doing this. God will slow us down and even make us wait and put us in a little darkness, enhance our ignorance, so that when he finally does move, we understand that it was God alone who did it. It is God who brings his people out of darkness into the light.
to prove that he alone can do it. Another reason why he often leads his people in the darkness concerning his move is to build our faith. To build our faith, to remind us, as difficult as it is for us to understand sometimes, that we walk by faith and not by sight. That the Lord will leave us at a place where we can't see our way through so that we, even though we can't see his hand, would learn to trust his heart. He didn't bring them down by the banks of Jordan for nothing. However long they had to wait in ignorance, in darkness concerning the move of God. It was for the purpose of God building their faith. Beloved, that's how it is with you. That's how it is with me. If we would allow it to be so. If we would put our spiritual antennas up. If we would see that even as the Lord leads us into dark places and leaves us oftentimes in places where we lack understanding and insight, that he does so so that we might learn to trust in him. So that we might learn that we walk by faith and not by sight. That we are people who see first and foremost with the eyes of our heart before we always depending on the eyes of our head. To prove that he alone can do it, to build our faith, and indeed to test our faith. To see if it's really genuine. To see who's really with him. To see who's really on the Lord's side. To see who's willing to say, Lord, if you leave me down by the, Jordan, the banks of Jordan, however long you leave me, I'm going to wait. However long you leave me in this situation, I'm going to wait. See if it's genuine. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, the Bible says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of the servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord. Let him who is walking in the darkness and has no present light, let him Trust in the Lord. Let him rely on his God. Israel discovered this. Discovered that the Lord is pleased when we are willing to wait on him. Psalm 37 and verse 34, the Bible says, wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And guess what he's going to do? He will exalt you to inherit the land. Just wait. Just wait. Wait on the Lord. Sometimes you wait by the river, beloved, but you wait. Sometimes you wait on the other side of the river, but you wait on the Lord. 
You wait on the Lord to tell you when to move. And sometimes you have to wait in the darkness and can't exactly see what's going on. But wait, wait, wait. Regardless of where you are this morning, whether it's up or down, whether you're in or out, I think the word of the Lord to you this morning, if there's no other word, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait. And if you wait in the right place, your change is going to come. Don't, don't, don't be too quick to get up. You know? I, I, it's amazing how many people, you know, they come to church for, for, for a time. They come to church for a time. And then after a while, they look around and say, oh, I guess ain't nothing here for me. And then they take off and you don't see them anymore. God had them down by the Jordan banks and they couldn't, they just couldn't wait. Just couldn't wait. I don't care where you are, beloved. Get yourself in position. And once you're in position, just wait. The Lord is faithful. He didn't bring you here for nothing. It may be one week. It may be two. It may be ten. Wait. He's coming. Wait on him. Wait, I say. Wait on the instruction, because they're coming. You see that, right? You see that. See the preparation, see the anticipation, then you see the regulations, right? God is going to regulate this thing. Had to use regulations because it rhymed with anticipation and preparation. Instructions didn't rhyme. <laughs> but it's just instructions, okay? That's what it means, but I had to find another word. So instructions, regulation, you know, the same thing, all right? All right, you get the regulation in three and four, which is just instructions. And he commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it. In order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. When the instructions are given, after three seemingly long days of anticipating God's move, the message was clear. Okay, The message was clear. And this was the message. Stand back. And watch what God does. Just stand back and watch what God does. When God did finally give the instructions, the instructions for the nation was just watch this. Watch this. That's what he told them. Watch this. Because it was all centered around the Ark of the Covenant. You're down by the banks. You got in position. Now all I want you to do is watch this. Okay, watch. This is the Ark of the Covenant. That's all they want to do. Keep your eye on the Ark. 
The ark was designed by God. We know this from Exodus chapter 25 and verse 10 and, and following. And it was, it, was a, it, was, it was kept. It was kept in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was kept at the center of the nation. Because the ark was important because it represented some very important things. It was the seat of God's mercy to his people. It was the place of his presence. It was the visible reminder in the nation that God is God and a reminder of his power. It was the place, beloved, where the Ten Commandments, where the tablets were kept. They were kept in the ark. So the ark was the visible reminder of Yahweh's presence and glory. And notice what they were told to do. First thing they were told to do was to look for the ark, right? Look for the ark. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant, that's the key. As soon as the ark begins to move, you know God is on the move. In other words, keep your eyes open. Look. Be looking for God. Look for God to show up. God promised that he would be with his people. Look for God to keep his promises. You get in position and you anticipate God is going to do something, then keep your eyes open. He's looking around. God has promised he's going to move. He ain't tell you exactly when. But when he does, ah, oh, you and I need to be looking for him. Look. As soon as you see the ark, look. And then when you see it, what's the next thing they're told to do? Follow. Follow the ark. Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Why? Because it is God who gives the direction. It is God who will mark the path. It is God's word that is, as it says in Psalm 119 and 105, His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Here was the word of God going before the people, lighting the way. Look for the ark. When the ark begins to move, you follow it. You follow it. You follow it. Isn't it interesting? I think it should be interesting to us that when Jesus called his first disciples, he only gave them two words. And what were they? Follow me. Because that's what it means to be a disciple, a beloved, is, is to be a follower. Jesus told his disciples, follow me. And here is God telling his people, when I move, you follow. Just follow me. Just follow me. That's why we sing. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him. With him. All the way. They were to look for the ark. And when they saw the ark, they were to follow the ark. But notice the special instructions given to them in verse 4, that though they were to look for the ark, and when they see the ark, they were to follow the ark, but then they were not to follow too close. Don't let your excitement get the best of you. 
Hey, keep your wits about you. You are to see it, you are to follow it, but don't you follow too close. They were to keep themselves at a comfortable distance. They were to follow the ark, but remember not too close. Stay about a thousand yards or a half a mile behind. Why not too close, beloved? Why not too close? Well, the first thing you don't follow the ark too close is because the ark is holy. And it reminds us because God is holy. The ark was God's visible presence. And though God was with Israel, the ark was the reminder that though God is with us, and though God is in the midst of us, God is still holy other. He is still distinct from us. He is still not like us. And therefore, Israel must always be reminded of the fact that God was not to be toyed with. It reminded in Numbers chapter 4 and, and verse 15 that whenever the ark was to be transported, to be careful that you don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch these holy things. These were God's means of grace to the nation. The ark was a symbol of his grace to the nation, but the ark was also a symbol of his wrath and judgment, as the means of grace always are, that you don't trifle with them below. It's amazing. People, people when we come to the Lord's table, when we come to the Lord's table every Sunday, that is a table that gives us the visible reminder of the presence of the Lord in our lives, both in grace and judgment. And this is why we do, you probably wonder why we say the same things every week. This is why. This is why we fence the table. This is why we say that if you belong to the Lord, the Lord says, come, come, come. But understand, beloved, that not only at this table is the grace of God, also at this table is the severity of God. And that if you take of this table in an unworthy manner, if you take of this table having not examined yourself, if you take of this table not trusting in and confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, then you take of this table unto your own judgment and condemnation. And so it was with the Ark of the Covenant. This was not to be trifled with. Oh, yes, yes, yes. God is in the midst of his people, and it is a means of his grace and his goodness, his kindness to his people. I am with you. When you see it, you follow. But don't forget also that this is also a means of my wrath and judgment. And you be careful. You be careful. What it says, right? Concerning this idea of understanding the presence of God the midst of his people for their salvation, his goodness, and at the same time, his wrath and severity. In Romans chapter 11, verse 22, the Bible says, Note the kindness and severity of God. Both 
beloved. God is both kind and severe. God is both good and righteous. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you. Provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. We don't take light, we don't take lightly, beloved, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And don't take lightly his judgment. The Lord is both kind and severe. And the Ark of the Covenant was a constant reminder to the people of the nature of God. Don't follow too close because God is holy. But also don't follow too close as our text says here because God wants to be clear about what's happening. There must not be any confusion about what God was doing and who was doing it. God was going to do something great. He was going to do something that had never been done before. And he didn't want them to confuse it with the things that they had done. Don't miss that. Stay back and watch God work. God was going to take them to a place they had never been and show them things they had never seen. But when he did that, he wanted to make sure that they understood it was him doing it and not them. Because God is pleased, beloved, to do great things in the lives of his people, especially those who delight and are quick to acknowledge that it is God doing it. And if they stay back, they're not going to be able to take any credit. If they stay back, they're going to see that it's God alone who is doing this. Was to be a reminder that no matter what happens or how successful you are or how far you go, it is always God who is working on your behalf. It's always God who is going out before his people. It is always God. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, who is at work in you to accomplish both his will and his good pleasure. It's God who's doing this. And so you stay back and watch what God does. When they were to see the ark on the move, then they were to follow it, but then they were to stay back so that God would get the glory. But before any of this was to happen, you see the last hit that must take place when you're expecting the Lord to move. The consecration. Verses 5 through 6. We got the preparation, we got the anticipation, we got the regulations, and now we see the consecration. Then Joshua said to the people, 
Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. The final instructions the Lord gave to the children of Israel as they stood on the banks of the Jordan was to consecrate, was to sanctify themselves. This, beloved, is perhaps the most vital element in expecting God to move. It is the element of self-examination. Self-examination. Israel not only had to get their families in right in the right place. Israel not only had to get their homes in the right place, but God said you also have to get your hearts in the right place. When you and I are expecting from God, when we're expecting from God, let's not just get our house in order, but also as we would with anybody who visits. But also, you got to get your heart right. See, when you come and visit my house, I ain't got to worry about my heart. I just got to get the house together. But when God shows up, it's not just the house. It's the heart. It's getting our heart in the right place. This is reminiscent of what God told Moses, right? Moses is coming down from the mountain prior to giving the people the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, prior to this great move of God in the nation whereby he was going to give them his word, the Lord said to Moses, go down to the people consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down from Sinai in the sight of all the people. So I'm not only get their hearts together, not only get their homes together, but they got to get their hearts right. I don't think, I don't think, beloved, that you and I should ever, and I think we do, but I don't think you and I should ever underestimate the power of self-examination. Never underestimate the power of self-examination. Never underestimate the power of confession in seeing the good and the glory of God. In Psalm 51. David is confessing his sin with Bathsheba. And he is desiring for God to have a fresh move in his life. He is desiring to see God and to understand God. He is desiring for God to move him out of darkness into light. He is stuck. You know what he says? Psalm 51 verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. But the sacrifice you desire is a broken heart. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Beloved, 
Beloved, listen, listen to me, listen to me this morning. God does not require perfection before he moves on behalf of his people. But what he does ask is that we acknowledge that he is God. He does ask that we acknowledge our need for him. He does ask that we admit that we are sinners, unworthy of his grace and goodness. These are the only sacrifices that the Lord requires. And he delights to move on behalf of his people who humble themselves before his holiness. Beloved, when that happens, when you truly humble yourself before the Lord, then I say to you with all assurances, you can expect from God. But because you have humbled yourself before the Lord, because you have, self, because you have examined yourself, guess what? You're going to wait. It may be one day, it may be two, it may be three, but you're going to wait with an expectancy, knowing, one, you are unworthy of God moving. So whenever you move, Lord, praise the Lord. This is why God's people can be expecting people. This is why we should be expecting people. This is what Christians do. Christians live with expectations. We should be expecting people. We are a people of anticipation. I anticipate the Lord does something every time we come to service. Anytime that the church is called to gather, anytime that the people of God are called to gather together in fellowship of any kind, I anticipate and expect the Lord to do something. I don't care when it is. Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, church picnic, Bible study, prayer meeting, VBS, I don't care. Whenever God's people come together and humble themselves in fellowship and encouragement to one another, I anticipate and expect God to do something. That's why you should be there. We live in anticipation. We live in expectation. We expect the gospel to save people. Don't you? We expect the gospel to save people. We expect the Holy Spirit to change people. We, we expect the fellowship of the saints to encourage people. We expect God every day to hear the prayers and help his people. We expect these things. We expect Christ to return and raise his people. Are you expecting these things, beloved? I mean, really, are you really expecting these things? Do you anticipate God doing great things in your life and in the life of the church? 
Do you come with these expectations? Do you expect Jesus Christ to come? I mean, really. Are you expecting the Lord? Are you standing on the banks of Jordan looking over and saying, Lord, come. We are waiting. Come. Are you expecting the Lord to come? Are you expecting to receive from the Lord? Are you expecting to come for Christ to come and be saved forever from your sins? Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then it says, all who have this hope, all who live with this expectancy, all who are anticipating the return of Christ, they purify themselves. Are you expecting these things? Notice what it says again. In Jude, 1 beginning in verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you what? Wait. As you expect, as you wait and expect for the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you in eternal life. Build yourself up in your holy faith. Keep praying in the Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love. As you sit by the banks of the Jordan, waiting and anticipating God to come. But the Bible says, are you expecting these things? Are you expecting God to move? Are you expecting Jesus to come? Notice what it says. We could go on and on. Notice what it says in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. No to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we what? Wait. While we hope in expectation. While we anticipate the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You expecting the Lord to come? You get down by the banks of the Jordan. You get out of Shittim. You get down by the banks of the Jordan. And every day you're looking over and you said, Lord, is it today? Is it today? Notice what it says in Hebrews. This, is, this, this means something to God. Notice what it says in Hebrews in chapter 9. 
verse 27 and 28. And just, just as it is appointed to man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are what? Eagerly waiting on him. All those who are standing by the banks of the Jordan, looking over and saying, Maranatha, Lord, Maranatha, the Lord comes and says, I've come to save them. Those are the ones I've come for. Follow the ark across the Jordan and into the promised land. Because you waited, anticipated, and consecrated yourself and prepared for his coming. Lord, prepare us. Prepare us for your coming. Prepare us for when you shall break through this world and receive your people unto yourself. Lord, prepare us this morning. Let's pray.